0: One part of the pillar of growth is retention. If your retention is shit, you're just filling a a leaky bucket. You're just losing people as much as you're getting more at the top. Snackable content from brand builders. E-commerce and growth marketing leaders. Giving
1: you actionable insights you can apply today. Bite-sized podcast with Daniel James. What's up, Johan? Welcome to Bite-sized. Thank you for having me, David. Of course, of course, I'm super excited to have you on. We were just saying before we started, I, I follow you on Twitter and now threads and, and LinkedIn and kind of been following your, I say your journey, but also the content you put out about marketing and everything else in your current role as, as CMO of Nude for a while. But for anyone who doesn't know you, why don't we kick off by just just tell me your kind of three, five minute career story, where it started and what you're currently doing now. Yeah, I'll try. I'll try
0: to make it short. So I moved to London. So I'm in London right now, North London. Moved to London about 12 years ago. I'm French. So I grew up in south of France. Uh, very nice place by the sea, close to Spain, between the mountains and the sea. But I guess that's what uh, attracted me to go to a city, because I grew up in like rural south of France, and I was really into I just cultural shit when I was growing up. Uh, I'm really into basketball, hip hop, like American culture, a lot of that between like films, and MTV and all that stuff. And um, as soon as I had the opportunity to go, I I went and I ended up not too far away from France, but in the UK. And uh, I I guess the big thing about my career is I changed careers um, in my mid-20s, about 25, 25, 26 year old. Uh, I studied engineering. So I was doing very more like traditional. I found very boring. But some people really like it and it's fine uh in like more traditional industries like automotive and and space to begin with so i wearing suit and tie and things like that and when i was um i guess four years in this career i saw an opportunity to join a facebook marketing agency in 2013 which was little fairly early days of facebook ads back then and decided to do a big career switch go back to the beginning, to this Facebook agency uh, called Glow. Uh, At the time, they had like a tiny office in Covent Garden, like 10 people. And we're we're getting these like crazy clients directly from Facebook, because at the time, if you had a software plugged into the Facebook API and what was called at the time, Power Editor, before as manager, you would get all these clients from Facebook. So like we were working with like, like the biggest gaming client before, uh, the, the big ones that we know now are like, you know, the Candy crash of the world and like those like kind of companies, even before that working with like Spotify, some, some, uh, betting clients as well, or, like things like that, like some big e-com too. And that's how I started. I got the bug like that. Switched career, started to like spend some money on Facebook and learn by doing because still to this day, you can't really learn that stuff at school. Like there's not like a, or maybe there is now, but like a curriculum to become a, like a proficient uh, digital marketer and uh, so i was doing and uh, i loved it and uh i guess it like it, it solved the uh, kind of engineer part of my brain with the data and like i felt like it was for me it was a game i loved looking at the numbers and like up, you know optimizing shit. at the same time i loved the creative side i was like that fulfilled that part that was missing in my previous career and from that on managed to move into some really successful companies, UK uh, startups that became uh, actually two of the biggest exited unicorn in the UK. There's not that many that exit as a unicorn, so it's worth mentioning. The first one was Deliveroo. So food delivery at the peak of what food delivery was uh, just becoming a part of people's lifestyle, because it wasn't a few years ago, like you wouldn't order food from restaurants like three times a week or more. And the second one was uh, Depop, so fashion marketplace. Um, both-time marketplaces, both-time apps. So I kind of became like an app guy as opposed to e-com and more like DTC. But that's how I uh, kind of like got some of my recognition working for these companies fairly early on. And uh, now I'm at Nude. So Nude another app, but this time in fintech. And we know London is one of the fintech hub of the world. So a big opportunity there too. And uh, yeah that's me that's amazing man from the south of france to, to london to run
1: digital marketing for these for these unicorn companies so now at Nude, you just cmo
0: right what is the role of a cmo a good question um so new is still um, definitely a startup still early stage small teams so i guess the role of a cmo in that in in that case is very different from a big corporate you know company where you have to like i guess do a lot more management and team management For me, it still means that I am responsible of, you know, the brand, marketing, content, and then, you know, I guess acquisition as well, like all the growth side of things, even though that's partly shared with product and more like a, you know, cross-functional effort. This still remains, but the difference is that I still need to understand how to do the things and not just understand, also do those things. So there's still, especially on the, what, is originally my core skill set, the paid acquisition side of things. There's still a lot of that I can do myself. That I still to this day enjoy doing myself, too. Like staying in touch with finding the arbitrage and between channels and the new tactics and things like that. Like I, I'm, I'm, I would say I became. Passionate of that over the years. So, my role is, uh I would say, a mix between what would be a CMO role in a bigger company and maybe more what head of growth role would be in a smaller company. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's,
1: that's what I would say. Yeah. And that, and that's kind of where the question comes from a little bit. It's like CMO versus, versus growth. And is a good CMO these days actually ahead of growth? It, it, it kind of leads me into my, you know, the next thing I wanted to ask you on is, you know, I come from a world of brand and performance marketing, where brand is one thing, performance marketing is another, and I think like I always really struggled with why those things were so separate because they shouldn't be. In, in my opinion, they shouldn't be. If brand is separate from marketing, uh, performance marketing, excuse me. At the end of the day, why do why do companies do brand marketing? It's to make more people more people aware of their products or services why do you do performance marketing to convert more people into customers those two things should not be separated so like what's your kind of philosophy around that what's your approach how as, as cmo of nude right i'm sure there's brand initiatives performance initiatives from a you know in terms of like how you think about them but in your opinion how do you
0: combine the two should they be combined what's what's your philosophy uh, I'm, I'm like a thousand percent with you on that like one of the reason for, at least from an external standpoint, wanted to have that badge, that CMO badge, is because I always felt from very early on in my career, like from the delivery days, so almost 10 years ago, that there was a big silo problem between all these teams in marketing. And the only way I could solve that problem is that eventually if I'm in charge of everything, I'll be able to like do that mix correctly and it was really hard to get that across to i would say maybe more traditional marketers or senior marketers that came from the wave before before digital before digital digital or during digital but maybe they were on always on the brand side so they never really cared about how to launch a facebook campaign or whatever it is like any Think about any any channel it doesn't have to be social search whatever and my the only the only way i could find a way to reconcile recon, reconciliate the two and trust me i tried in previous role to reconcile the two i was never senior enough i was shut down you know good idea johan but you know we're gonna keep our brand team of 30 people doing their thing and your team of digital market are going to do their thing and it's uh we're going to let you figure this out between those two teams it was a mess it's a mess because different kpis or okrs and and no alignment from the top down from the the cmos of the, the time or the ceo even really hard to do from when you come from a slightly lower rank like a header type rank, you can try like it I guess it's still on a case by case. For me, in in the places I was, it was impossible to do, even though I was trying. So that that answers your your question. Like I, I for me, is part of the same thing. The debate about you know should you have a chief growth officer or C- or, or CMO, or uh, should you have a head of, all of that? I don't think the title piece for me doesn't really matter. Like you can call yourself, whatever. Like I don't really care about being called a CMO, head of growth or whatever. As long as that means that my title is going to allow me to do that thing where we can take brand, the content that comes from brand, the distribution of the content that comes from brand and plug it with the performance side, the revenue part or the app side of things or whatever your objective is as a business and i'm saying whatever the title in reality you do kind of have to have the cmo title to be able to do that to justify that it's your role to do that thing if you're called head of growth or chief growth officer they'll probably spark you on the you know you're just gonna do acquisition retention monetization which are like the you know kind of three things of growth but the brand we're gonna have a creative director for that and then that's why you're fu- you're fucked again because that becomes split as you grow. I think it's also partly because, you know, 15 years ago, there was no, I think, none of that. That's the, all that is new. So uh, we're still in a big transition phase. And also there was a massive bull run phase up until last year of like, you know, unlimited cash. You can raise your neck crown as you know, not easily, but fairly easily if your numbers are, are good. So let's hire, you know, managers on top of managers on top of managers. You know, let's have, we can have the luxury of all the teams we want. And, you know, I think that was also, that, that didn't help in retrospect.
1: I totally agree with everything you just said. I love everything you just said. It's so refreshing to hear. And I hope there's more CMOs who in the future take that approach. I- You know for me as well it's also like a you know i know why things were that way but it's like we shouldn't accept that just because they were that's how it should be and you know from an being an agency owner operator and having worked at previous agencies it's like you would sell companies on well we have brand capabilities and we so everybody everybody is basically siloing things for the wrong incentive, right? Which is protect my budget. If I'm a brand person, protect me being held accountable to anything to do with performance. Then it becomes challenging, right? It's like most brands can't afford to just do fluffy brand stuff without understanding if it's actually generating some future intent of customers some brands can Uh, for for me i just think it's like a lazy place to get to where it's like well we're just going to keep things super separate i think like I, i mean i see it right i see more and more more and more the convergence of that because from a brand perspective it's more efficient and effective from a Vendor management and a marketing ROI perspective, and then I think like the you know whether you're doing that internally or whether you're doing it with an agency, good agencies are then also able to understand how to make those two things work together.
0: Totally agree, and the fact that now we are in a tighter uh, economy, uh, in a situation where it's really hard to raise your next round, I, I think it kind of forces that to happen. It's like there's no 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 BS anymore. You know, you got tighter budget, you can still do you know some more like brand activations or but they they do have to fit within that budget it's not a separate budget anymore and uh you need to look at your blended cac or you know your payback period becomes uh really you need to become religious about it where a few years ago well not too far no, no, not too long ago you could justify a payback period of 20 24 months to investors and they were still like yeah that's yeah that's good yeah 24 months so good that's cool now you go above six months and they're like you put pretty much much, you pretty much have to be bootstrapped now <laughs> like, you know, like almost almost you know profitable on the first purchase you know that's the kind of like the situation we're in so it, it forces those teams to merge it forces kps to be uh, combined and i think you'll make some marketers stand out by understanding often the misunderstanding is the performance side because that's the hardest part to understand the the branding top of funnel part which is often engagement led is easier to understand is is creative led so as long as you still have some creativity within your team or your agency that will still happen the difference is you know the size of the budget for that brand activity will be will be smaller but i guess yeah that's a good thing so you led digital in
1: different capacities but deliveroo depop and now new. what's your approach to when you join a new company, right? So, what's your approach of like understanding the business, the challenges, and then how you start developing a strategy? I've always thought like the word strategy is like it can become, su- what is it? It's like a bunch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's even, yeah. I think the perception is like it's a bunch of fluff. It's like a nice yeah. deck that then you forget, but actually, being an ex strategist and now from an agency perspective, like so much is around that initial growth strategy. As like it's so important. What's your approach? What do you do? What have you done when first joining those companies that allowed you to go on and then be successful? Yes, yeah,
0: that's the part I love really because that's the uh, that's where I specialize, I guess now because uh, that's the third time I'm doing this. Both actually. Now at new this is the same at Deliveroo, Deep Up, and New that was the first brought in growth marketer, just broadly call it growth marketer. So I had to figure it out. The first thing I do, and maybe it was less clear when I was at the delivery because I was, you know, a year and a half after my first agility. I was I had no fucking idea what I was doing. I was just spending money on Facebook. But I guess still, what happens all the time is I spend the first few days. It doesn't take really long. Understanding the, the business numbers very important. I think it's that that's, that's the, a big part of being the CMO as well now. Or, you know, any growth, kind of marketer is like really understanding the business side of things because also you'll make your financial director cfo very happy if you understand that you can talk numbers with with him or her so really understanding the unit economics if they already have a notion of like lifetime value or you know purchase pattern with the customers like really understanding that putting in place your you know how much can i spend like what's the limit what's my threshold in terms of like Re-results, ROAS or cost of install, whatever whatever the, the business you're in. And then very quickly, I, ch- I try a bunch of channels. And in, in each case, I'm doing that myself. Like it's, at that time, you don't bring an agency or... To be honest with you, in in two, two times, the agency was already there. So what I did was uh, getting rid of the agency and then doing it myself. Unfortunately, there's a lot of agencies that don't do a great job. They take the check from companies and they kind of say they're doing a good job and then uh it's not always the case uh so it, it for me it was it was like that so i was looking at what was existing mm-hmm. it was very very small budget at the time but i had the numbers in on paper now how much you know should be the uh, what should be the kpi and then whatever the channels were like popping at the time i would start there so like deliver was facebook and then instagram Deep up was Snapchat, uh, weirdly, and Snapchat was, I didn't just try Snapchat, but Snapchat very quickly came out at the top like the lowest results and the biggest opportunity because no one was doing ads on Snapchat in 2018 the way maybe they do now but i don't even think it's saturated now cuz Snapchat is not the number one thing you hear yeah, from from advertisers and then new this tiktok but really tr- really very quickly testing a bunch of creatives to get a benchmark of what the what are the results we can get and that literally i do that within the first before the end of month one is done I, I, know roughly how much we can acquire a customer for. for uh, from I can benchmark that with the lifetime value or, or any sort of like data that I got from the existing of the existing cohorts of users or for for the past few years or few months, depending on how much data you've got. And then, uh, um, and then it's budget alloca- allocation. So well, you, you go next phase, it's how much can we allocate to digital, assuming nothing was really allocated before or very minimal amount, and then scale as fast as you can. At the time, it was still possible, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> to scale fast, now it's maybe more cautious, but yeah.
1: So you you quickly identified the core channels. So you kind of said delivery was Facebook and Instagram, Depop was uh, Snapchat, and Nude is TikTok. So if you're spending on other channels, like a big thing, like, you know, I think brands question is when to diversify. Like, you know, what's my what's my channel mix? So for you in those early stages, like, well, Snapchat, let's let's just say like, actually let's take nude. TikTok is working for nude. So what does your channel mix look like? you just go all in on TikTok? and like cut off spend to others until you start to see some diminishing returns? Or is there still, you know, I kind of know that it's dependent on well how much you're spending and how much can you channel
0: diversify. But what's, what's your approach to channel diversification? I try and find two. And I think I was not as clear in my head a few years ago or not, and maybe try to diversify outside of two channels, maybe too quickly, because when you're winning on two channels, one or two channels, then you become, you think you can win on every channel and you're like, here we go, like we're gonna, we're gonna go everywhere. But really, and that's the big difference with Nude is the the other obvious is Instagram. I mean, that's, you know, Facebook, Instagram is still there. So if you can make two channels, at least on the paid acquisition side of thing, work, you don't need more. Like literally until you get to, I don't know, a series C, you don't need to go much more than that. Like there's so many people on this platform to scale. You shouldn't really have to do much more, at least on the digital side of things. It, it wouldn't even be comparable. You, you still do some tests, you know, like I do testing all the time on other, but like it's uh, less than 5% but of the budget is really tiny stuff really tactical things just to see how things move and stuff but really two channels to scale is all you need and then outside of that uh outside of like the the more like paid acquisition side of things i try to set aside a part of the budget and i don't want to put a percentage because it really changes you know it really depends on months or quarter but like you know that 20 30 percent brand budget is on top of these two kind of acquisition channel, and it could be spent on TikTok too. But the objective is different. Is the money is used on boosting some of the content, getting some improving the engagement rate on some of the the the, the content that we put down on YouTube. Could be other things. But really, two channels for acquisition is is all you need for a very long time. Just really interesting around that is um I don't know
1: your experience with some. Some of the, you know, when companies get bigger. This is this is a while ago. I'm, I'm old in this game. It's like social social used to be called walled gardens, right? And it was like your core digital plan was built on owned and operated properties, digital advertising on websites. And then social was like, oh, well, we'll also carve off 10% of our budget and put it into the walled gardens. Named that way because traditionally you wouldn't get all the data back, right? And it's like, I was actually... It's really interesting how these days it's like probably a lot of legacy brands don't think this way, but for any brand up to probably I don't know fifty million, maybe a hundred million, their first ad dollar is going into social, right? And it didn't use and it didn't used to be that way. Like ten years ago, maybe even less, slightly less than that, it didn't used to be that way. And I kind of like your I like what you said there. It's like you don't need more than two channels unless but be testing and if it proves out to be that way i think people become too and maybe it's because they're not seeing the results on the channel so i understand that but to try and diversify budgets too soon too quickly or fragment your budgets
0: across multiple platforms doesn't typically lead to greater success totally you know in the first uh, what, what... When you ask me, like, what do you uh, at the beginning? The first month or couple of months, we will test more than two to find those two. But once you get a sense of the two, does. and the two channels are, are for most people will be the same. Like, there's not like uh, any scientific, uh, you know, TikTok is probably one, and Instagram is probably the second. Mm-hmm. Maybe the second one might change depending on what you do, but there's not going to be a massive uh, surprise. I th- I guess in um add add another 5 or 10 years if the biggest advertisers spend more and more of their budget on digital first and really saturate because you know I think uh, there was um the top 25 advertisers in the world like uh number 1 is Amazon right they spend um 25 billion a year on advertising which is insane only them could saturate all the channels for saturate for everyone else like like they spend so much money so maybe we'll see a resurgence on I don't know like other things like uh, direct mail or or, you know or whatever billboards like there's a lot there's a lot more uh, flexibility in like media buying on more like traditional what used to be more traditional things maybe those things will become the opportunity again I don't know. We'll see. But that's the that's the game. That that's 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 what we do what we do, right? That's just finding out those things. Yeah. Yeah, that is the game. What's your um what's your philosophy to building teams?
1: Are you a big brand in house only hire in house teams? Are you an agency fan? Are you a hybrid of both and what at what point does agency make sense versus in house? Like what's what's your philosophy and also what has worked? So
0: that changed uh over the years. I think because Worked at work in general has changed over the last few years with COVID and everything. But uh, in the past, I used to be really pro in-house and hiring channel experts i was building the team that i built at deliveroo my team at deeper were very in our focus it was, it was in the end it was hybrid there was agility involved too but there was kind of a strong focus on iron and maybe because the incentive at the time as i was because the economy was different because i was building my career, i was incentivized to build my team because i was building my career right so people do uh what they're being incentivized for so if the incentive for me to progress in my career is at uh, the next interview how many people did you manage i need to fucking hire people before because otherwise i'm never going to get the next level right and that's how i got to the next level to some extent when i joined depop they asked me how many people did you manage before so maybe that was also like obviously that was um, influenced by that now i'm leaning a lot more Towards uh, lone wolves. So, not necessarily ad agencies, but like creators, freelancers, agency, as well as in house. But uh, we're still a small, like I said, a super small co- uh, company. So, my team internally is like uh, the three of us, including me. So, uh, super small team. But I work with a ton of other people outside and they come and go, super small contracts, you know, one day, one day there, even on the creative side. So, creative meaning designers, uh, meaning Content creators, meaning influencers, uh some agencies on the paid uh paid management as well, when when we can, when we need to scale. So yeah, my view has changed. And I think what helped that change, like I said, is since uh COVID, remote working, but also the, the massive boom in the creator economy, the new generation is like it's a different beast. Like I've seen the transition the last five years. I'm getting I know is it never used to be that way i would have never done that when i was in my early 20s but i'll get like 20 years old dming me on linkedin or instagram direct message hey i'm doing this i've got this tiktok account you know are you looking to work with somebody like can i you know do you have a job like that's that was not the case before right before it was like looking on the i was looking on the website is there a job opening oh i'm gonna have to do a cover letter okay i need to like to call it is my C V D updated I understand the CVV call like that's that's gone now so I think that helped get the way I'm thinking now we worked with last year we worked with two uh, creators that was managing our TikTok account literally doing one video every day seven days a week 30 days a month I found them through a, a WhatsApp social media manager group they both they were 19 and 20 they were a digital agency but it was like two of them. They don't really an agency. They're just, you know, they're, they're freelancers, right? But it was it was awesome. Literally, like everything was done through WhatsApp and um, a couple of emails, quick invoice. But like, you know, this is your brief. You do a video every day on TikTok. This is what we do. Go. That's it. Maybe that's the agency of the future. It just, <laughs>
1: WhatsApp groups, no calls, no meetings, no reporting, just uh, here you go.
0: Exactly, and it was uh, it was all done through like a mix of Google Drive, Airtable, WhatsApp, and, uh, but, and yeah, I think that I think that's also part of like what whatever you call it, like a senior marketer at a company, uh, the startup needs to be now. You need to be ultra flexible with that stuff. If you're still thinking in the way that I mentioned before that you're gonna you know talk to HR and set up a job opening on your website, then put your job opening on LinkedIn. Wait for fifty people to apply. Go through the CVs, filter the ones who didn't do cover letter. Like if you're doing that, you already lost. Like you, you lost the game. That's it. It's too late. I agree. No, I think
1: it's. A, I think that's a great. I think it's a great answer that should, would be really helpful for most people. It's like well, first and foremost, it depends on the incentive. Like what you incentivize towards, and then I think like ever more, there's that flexibility of modeling. Right. If you can, if if your incentive is grow a team, do this in house versus like I think the need now is to be a bit more scrappy and also like there's less barriers to working with and testing different people especially in like the creator economy and when it comes to content and creative and all this sort of stuff so that's a really insightful answer what's um you know you you mentioned it earlier the the app guy it's uh it's different to e-commerce which you know a lot of people who listen to this and and stuff and we you know it's probably e-commerce focused but we definitely have Quite a few i've had feedback around people who like work from a more lead generation app install and everything else basis and we do quite a bit of work in that realm as well vastly different what's the core challenge of a lead generation app based business versus something that's more of an e-commerce or you know traditional transactional business
0: from a marketing perspective i think i'm jealous of uh, the dtc guys the uh, the dtc land because yeah, attribution is a mess, man, since uh, iOS 14.5 or whatever, like two years ago, everything went, I think as part of like being scrappy today, because you can't do what you used to do, which is go through, uh, installing your mobile measurement partner, list literally three in the in a world, well, you know, adjust app flyer and branch it used to be coachable. I don't know if they exist, you know, maybe four. So That's the world of an app marketer. You've got a measurement partner. Before iOS 14, you were able to track down to the ad level. That was great. And that's kind of what you guys still do, right? You can still get a sense of ROAS on a pretty granular level. It's not as good as it used to be, but you're closer to the truth still. For us, that is completely gone. All you can see at a channel level, super high level, so obviously you can see data on the campaign that sets an ad level on the on the channel so in ads manager for example but it's never going to be accurate Uh, the discrepancies are pretty big and i don't even spend i I don't spend a second trying to understand those discrepancies i use that i just use that data as a uh, trend so the lag is huge as well like do you know when you launch an app campaign on facebook between the time you launch it and it goes live and the time you get a, the closest to the truth that you can get it, like it can take four days like between in four days you're like literally shitting your pants because you've no idea if it's working or not you're spending money you're like I don't know it's it's getting better every day but you, you don't know how low it's going to go so like am I, I stopped today I don't know I might, maybe it's crap maybe it's going to get better tomorrow we'll see then when it's working you can live it you can leave it live for for quite some time which is that that, that becomes okay but from the uh, attribution at a at a micro level uh, it's very proxy trend led but the source of truth are still the app stores so you get the channel data which is accurate from apple and google google play store and uh, you can do your macro that way. That is, I think, the biggest difference. That and some granularity on like creative testing as well, which I'm pretty jet loose on uh, the e world because in the app ecosystem, they cap the amount of campaigns you can run per app. So I think the equivalent of, well, you know, the Advantage Plus campaigns on Facebook. I think the maximum you can run on an app is nine campaigns. It's not bad, but it's not unlimited either. Like it's you're pretty capped, and those are the best type of campaigns on the app. Then you can do more manual campaigns, but those don't perform as well. So it's tricky. Like it, it, it's it's a very uh, it's a very different ecosystem, but still fun though.
1: And I think you know all of that on top of you know, and this might be different in your experience. It's often a free trial and then monetization, and it's like then it's you know generating the free trials is one thing, but then monetizing that free trial is another thing, right? What have you seen work really well? Because you know I think that's a big challenge for us, even with with the brands we're working with from, a, from an app install perspective it's like actually with all, all the challenges you just mentioned are the challenges you face for the install then the next thing is like how do you get people to pay for it <laughs> what what have you seen work well
0: one of our strengths at nude is uh we've done a, a lot of work on behavioral science so our onboarding flow is pretty amazing so we do a good job at and i should probably explain what we do at nude uh we have uh savings apps for first time on buyers so if you're saving for your deposit the upfront money that you need to put towards uh i don't know how you call it in the us uh, towards your house the down payment is that you call it, you call it, that's how it's called in the us right yeah and this whole whole escrow process but yeah yeah so we help uh people in the uk raise that money as fast as possible through an app through an account where you get 25 percent of free government money on top of what you put and uh in 2023 mm. there's not much that pays 25 percent return so that's a good thing to do but um mm. so our onboarding flow is uh very different from your typical uh, fintech app we take an approach of time towards your goal as opposed to the money approach we ask you where you want to live uh how much you've got saved already? We ask you the post- postcode, and we, you know, show you on the map. We ask you uh, what's the, the size of the house you want, how many bedrooms, and uh, I think that creates a very strongly emotional link to you thinking about you being in a house. Like it, it helps those little moments of steps in the onboarding gets you more and more motivated towards actually doing it so we get like a, a pretty a pretty great conversion right towards that we did a lot of testing obviously on screens and you know helped to uh, like some screens have like you know the kind of like most popular choice type thing you know like we tested a lot of that stuff to like guide people towards the the best the better path towards uh, becoming a, a customer and and that makes the marketing top of funnel work brilliantly because when you get those two things working in parallel if you go a very cheap top of funnel and your onboarding is kickass, you are getting a ton of customer data uh, that then you can use and that's the, the third thing that i think we're pretty great at is email marketing the life cycle that kicks in as soon as you get that email address the value added in our email is pretty insane like the way we educate you towards what it what it is to reach that goal and to get that house eventually. It might take you five years, but building that motivation and working on psychology, almost you know, and kind of breaking down those uh, objections that you might have in not saving today. I think what makes those three things, cheap top of funnel, great onboarding, and then great comms in emails, just converts very well. That's the, that's the, that's the trio. And then the thing with uh, Nude, which is kind of special for us is one part of the pillar of growth is retention. If your re- retention is shit, you're just feeling a, a leaky bucket. You're just losing people as much as you're getting more at the top retention because it's a savings that is like you know 80 percent after two years because once you start saving for a home you don't stop until you actually reach that goal so luckily the, the marketing doesn't have to do too much towards helping retention that's one part of the equation already solved but i guess yeah what i mentioned before is, is the, the, the trio that works really well for us Yeah. are you only ever going to be the app guy or are you going to dip your toes into more traditional e-commerce i don't want to be the the app guy let's let's not make it a thing so yeah okay sorry I, I, I apologize we'll uh, we'll edit no no, no it. it's fine it's fine i'm really don't i don't i don't i don't um uh, i don't mind i am agnostic i don't i don't care like as long what it's what ex, what's exciting to me when i work somewhere it's just like it's just a mission like is it exciting? Is the product good? Is it solving like a deep kind of life problem or making it better in some ways? And uh, so far it happened to mostly be apps uh, that I found through new technological uh shift. So food delivery, it was uh, brought because of smartphone, because of GPS, connecting the GPS with your location, with, with other data points unlocked the kind of last mile with food uh, and that was pretty insane the uh, kind of social uh, secondhand plus social aspect of deep pop and fashion with like uh, you know the whole like secondhand circular economy movement that is growing uh, you know every day that was the other thing and then now it's you know helping people to save for their first home which is another noble cause you know yeah 100 and i feel
1: like you know i say this a little bit what is marketing, right? Marketing is understanding consumers and how to generate an action, whether that's an app, whether that's e commerce, whether that's the, it, it, it doesn't really matter, if I'm honest with you. Like, that's why, you know, that you kind of answered it from your perspective and from our perspective as an agency. It's like, we work, with, we work with a lot of fashion brands. We work with beauty brands. We work with some artisanal brands. We work with the question sometimes of like, well, you know, if we haven't worked with a certain vertical, will you know what to do? It's kind of like, you know, it's the same thing. If you're good at marketing, you can apply that across that pretty seamlessly.
0: Exactly. There was um something I heard in uh in my podcast or my talk about later. One of the guests that we had on, which was so good. I'm gonna try and make it justice. The way I explained marketing and growth was that you imagine yourself you're a little spec and all your job as a marketer is to create digital mass and over time get more and more gravity around you to attract more customers over time and that spec grows and it's like i love this analogy with gravity and uh, and space because i mainly because i love uh interstellar and the notion of space and time really excites I just, me just unless um, you just I
1: literally just watched Interstellar for the first time the other night. My mind first was, time for oh, the first man. time. I'm actually massively w- into all of that, like space, and I, my mind goes into these far places. I actually met Neil deGrasse Tyson once. I was at one of Steve's Direver CEO podcast recordings. I've been on, I've sat in on a couple and Neil deGrasse Tyson was on one of them and just it just blew my mind and we had like an hour after he finished the podcast where we were just talking about things and just his brain and his thinking I was just like holy fuck but Interstellar Interstellar blew my mind a little bit. I'll be honest with you. Oh, I
0: love that film. I watched it like fifty times. What were you doing? I don't. Know.
1: I don't know. My well, my problem is, is I'm really into space and all of that from a deep level. But in terms of watching movies, I have a I have a really fucking bad attention span to things. Like some, I'll put movies on in like ten minutes, I'm like, nah.
0: My mind's going in this direction, or my mind's going in that direction. But great, great movie. No, it, it is and, and this analogy is like it's, I, I love thinking about it as just you know creating digital mass on the internet that's that's what your job is I, I love that too I love that too that's that's amazing you recently launched a podcast why did you do that what's the motivation um, and how's it going so the main motivation is that I love talking about marketing Genuinely, it became a passion by doing it. As I happened to be good at it, I became more and more attracted to it and stuff. So I felt like having something to dip my mind into, that is not the day-to-day. My day-to-day work would help fulfill my curiosity. And funny enough, I actually started it two years ago. I did 10 episodes, then I dropped, because I felt like the work by myself as well, I was doing everything by myself. It was uh, it was a bit too much. So two years happened. And then restarted last month. By the way, it's called In Growth We Trust. Uh, if you if you search for it, and I happened to meet one of my good friend Jake, uh, shout Jake if you listen to this, who's uh, one of the guy who actually taught me Facebook ads in my first job. So we kind of we stayed in touch became very good friend and we chatted about two months ago a month and a half ago and i was like you know i really want to restart that podcast because i want to talk to people i want to invite guests but also because you know we're marketers i also want to test a a bunch of tactics to grow it and i just want to build the biggest marketing podcast in the world as fast as possible, and I said, why not? And I was really surprised by his, and uh, answer I was like, "Do you want to do it with me? It'll be great if we together because we can naturally split the work, and it was fun. And now there's a lot of AI stuff that we could use to help us do the some of the work, the heavy lifting. And uh, it was it was very happy to say yes. So we started a month ago, and it's uh, it's a blast. I love it. It's like a little baby on the side on top of my other kids uh yeah no it's so good it's so good that's awesome
1: yeah I feel I feel the same way it's like running an agency like don't get me wrong I love it but launching I, I'd actually made a promise to myself for like a year like launch a podcast and I just I you know I just I never not so bad I never got round of it and then round to it because there's always something else more important but actually having launched it this year i launched it in march and um it's by far the most enjoyable thing that i do just the ability just the ability there's two things with it one to connect with like amazing people who otherwise is like yeah you can network and stuff but to to do it in a podcast form and actually make connections, i learned something every time I talk to someone, which I absolutely love. And it's like, I love hearing people's different perspectives and stuff, and it really doesn't feel like work. But then similar to to you, you're you're probably further along than this than me, but like building something from zero again, right? Like, how do I grow this? Like, I don't care from the perspective of, um, like, I'm not trying to make money out of it, but like, I look at my follower growth. Okay, how do I make it higher? Just for the pure gamification
0: of how I- Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's your, mark, your marketing brain kicks in again and you're like oh you know like what's the next uh you know the next level of speed can i go with this you know how fast can it grow it always starts it starts from a genuine simple thought of meeting people learning things things that you can bring back to your agency i can bring back to nude that's it's amazing like it really opens a lot of like doors like since we since we started it a month ago it's only been five weeks I met like, well, first of all, I met you to begin with. I met like 10 people on Twitter, which I never used for like 10 years. And I'm like, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna be more active on Twitter. And I'm meeting like incredible people. Some people I'm bringing in on the podcast. I'm learning a ton. I feel like I feel more connected than I almost ever been being in the arena. I'm in the game. Like I know what's going on. Like you feel like you have your finger in the pulse. Like at any given week, because that's that's the thing with uh, what we said before is to win in this uh, new context as a, as a market with your, whatever the business you work with, like, you need to be in touch with all the current arbitrage and channels and things. Whether it's organic or paid or, and actually like having a medium like that really yeah, helps funnel uh, those things to you, you know, to the, to the, to the podcast. And that's awesome. And like you said, the potential money grab with having a big following, a big media is a nice thought but it's never the first thing for me the second thrill really is to like i'm really excited about the numbers so i'm like you know because with jake we're like it's like two we're like two crazy scientists on on the podcast and like every day we like we have 20 ideas like it's insane and um (laughs) i love that i love that stuff it's so it's it's so uh it's so interesting like we do it with we're testing paid ads on the podcast with our money and like we spend like five quid a day nothing but like I'm telling you, those five quids, they're like, they like crazy. Like, you should check our ads on the Facebook library. Like, we, our oh, oh, click-through rate is 10%. We pay, like, 5p a click that goes straight into Apple Podcast. But, like, that kind of shit, like, I love it. It's so good. It's like, you get to train your marketing muscle again on, like, these tactical things. And I love that stuff. So good. So good. 100%. And it's
1: nice to do it for the fun, right? When the, there's nothing really at stake, right? Other than the money... Be- in time you potentially invest or no i haven't i haven't tested ads yet i might have to do a competitor analysis on your on your ads the man uh, see what your ups
0: no no i mean that's why i'm mentioning because i know i know if you're if you're a good marketer you know you can check those uh ads to library so there's no point hiding it Yeah, you should you should definitely come on our podcast as well i'd
1: love to man no definitely let's uh let's let's do it. i'd love to be on the other side of the table and answering the questions for sure um awesome dude uh let's to, to wrap it up then and, and thank you again so much for your time i've been really excited to to chat with you and you know like you said it's it's proof point of everything we just spoke about right like podcasts and marketing and and connecting with great people i guess let's wrap it up
0: in terms of what you're most excited about for you or for nude or what you're most excited about so yeah definitely those two things uh really excited about nude because i think out of all the companies i work with nude is like the best metrics i've seen in years the only issue is that we're in uh, the worst economy that we've seen in years as well so that doesn't that kind of balances out but i'm really excited about the prospect of growing nude to hopefully my third unicorn you get it on record so if it happens it'll be insane you know what? You know what they say. Like the first time is luck, second time is uh, coincidence, uh, third time is talent. So hopefully, I get to the talent level. And then the other thing is, uh, yeah, I would say like the podcast is really exciting. It's it's new. If you uh, if you listen to this, you want to check it out check it out. I'm also doing a daily tweet about the stats of the podcast so on Twitter. So that's 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 kind of fun. And uh, yeah, those two things I think are uh, two two good projects.
1: Awesome, man. Definitely. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure I link out to your Twitter, your LinkedIn, and and as well within the podcast. So if anyone listening wants to follow along on the podcast, or also um, you put out great content on LinkedIn as well, I'll definitely link it. But uh, Johan, appreciate you, my friends. Cheers. Um, we'll uh, we'll chat again. Thank you
0: so much. Yeah, that was great. Thank you, then. Yeah, awesome. thank you, mate. Take care.